everybody, welcome to the podcast. How's your apocalypse going? This is the Centralia Improvisational Podcast, where we talk about improvisation. Today, we have a very special guest all the way from Chicago, Illinois, sometimes pronounced Illinois, for people who like to sound French, Julia Morales. She is the artistic director and founder of Stepping Stones Theater, a brand new theater in Chicago that is unique in the improv world. They're starting with community first and building out from there. It's a very exciting and interesting uh, concept, and we talked about that and the inspiration for it. We talked about Julia's days working for the second city on cruise ships, and she's got some crazy stories about her days on the high seas. Uh, So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Centralia Improvisational Podcast with Julia Morales. In northeastern Pennsylvania, there's a town called Centralia. Centralia was once a thriving coal mining community, home to thousands of people. But in May of 1962, a fire was started in a garbage dump near an open coal seam. The fire was thought to be extinguished, but actually continued underground, often releasing gas and flame to the surface above, until the town of thousands eventually dwindled to less than a dozen. The fire still rages today and shows no sign of stopping. The following podcast is in no way related to Centralia, Pennsylvania. And now, direct from New York City, an island off the coast of America, it's the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is my podcast voice. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Julia Morales is in the studio. (laughs) I got to put some sauce on it, you know. Julia Morales is in the studio. Oh my god. So how are you? I'm great. (laughs) I have not seen you in person. Mm, Many years. I don't know when the last time I saw you was. Because I haven't been in the scene in a while. Like when I had my kid. Yeah. Actually, the wife had the kid. When we had a kid, like I I sort of stepped back and, you know, basically gave the bare minimum. When was the baby born? What year was that? February 2009. Oh my She's gosh. 11. Oh my gosh. She's 11. She's 11. She's smoking. Like she's all grown up. <laughs> she's running for office. She's running for office with the Independence Party. I'm like, geez, join a major party. <laughs> Why this third party stuff? Whatever. She's her own kid. All right. So when did you leave New York? About has it been two years? No, I actually left. Okay, so I officially, as I moved my stuff out of New York, I moved out of New York in 2015. But I, I, I was wow. still, t- yeah, I was still there around 2013 was when I got hired by Second City. So I was still living in New York, but I was doing ships. Right. So I was like in and out. Um, you were and, on the boats for a while. Yeah, I was on the boats for a while, and I was just kind of, I think I was also mentally out, too. I'm not even going to lie. I was mentally out. Yeah. I was done. I was tired. 
Um, New York is a grind. It is a grind. It's a good grind. So let's go all the way back. I want to this. I want to do this right. So you're from Texas. Yes, is I'm that from correct? Houston. Yes, I'm from Houston, Texas. It's pronounced Houston. Whatever you call it, whatever you want. Wow, offended. But we oh. call it we call it Houston up here. <laughs> I know. I hated that when I lived in New York. I'd like it's like you morons. Yeah, like it's down Houston Street, and everyone's like, "There is no Houston Street." There's a Houston. It's like, pronounced Houston. It's... Please. <laughs> so you're from Texas. And um, how did you get involved in like theater and acting and all that stuff? Um, I've been involved in theater for a very long time. Like I've always loved. I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to be a child star. Um, that was like my dream. It's not too late. It really isn't, right? <laughs> I'd be like baby Jane. <laughs> Um, I got really into, um, yeah, I, I went to the University of Houston, um, out in Houston. Is that where that is? I hope so. I mean, well, excuse me, Houston, University of Houston. That's what they call it. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> no, I ended up going to, uh, I was at U of H for a bit and then I went to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York and then I finished in LA. It's a two year two-year college just strictly for acting very specialized Mm -hmm. and that's kind of where I got into improv because one of the Mm -hmm. classes required was improv and so um, I just found that to be the class where I never felt like I had to be typecast I never felt like a stereotype I could just kind of explore different Mm -hmm. things and my teacher in LA she was a Second City alumni and I didn't know what Second City was at the time, but she pulled me to the side during, uh, you know, during one of our uh, one-on-ones. And she was like, you know, you can do this regularly if you want, like improv, because you're really good at it. So I was so confused by what she was telling me. So she invited me to one of her improv shows. And honestly, the rest is history. Um, I just, I traveled back to Houston, tried to find out any improv teams out there, found a couple of, um, uh, you know, another guy who, was a uh, was a, a second city alum who was your teacher in la do you remember the- francis collier oh of course yes of course yeah she's the best she's incredible and you know at the time we didn't know who she was we overlapped a little bit in chicago oh you did yeah yeah she's a yeah, great yeah. person and then uh we we both worked for the second city for a while um and did a few gigs together oh that's awesome doing like corporate training bizco stuff yeah and then of course she started the chicago improv festival yes she uh, did with with john John pitts Pitts. yeah yeah and they they invited us to the first couple festivals from new york and it was pretty awesome oh fun yeah so she's yeah she was such a great um mentor and helper and yeah i always give her the the major cred for getting me into improv because honestly i didn't know anything about yeah, if it wasn't for her, I just I would love I would know probably later in life about improv or just not at all, to be honest with you. That's that's how it works. You know, like one person putting a little bit of wind in your sails exactly. puts you in a certain direction. I take credit for every student's success. You do? <laughs> that's that's what I do. So Francis yes. Collier tells you to do improv. So whenever improv isn't working out for you, do you blame her? <laughs> uh, no, not at all. Um, when you know, when improv doesn't work out for me, I normally blame 
the system. It is, yeah. It's a tough. It's a tough system. Um, I know you've posted stuff recently, and you're going to change all that. I am going to change all of that. Yes, yeah, I'm determined. Yeah, I'm totally with you with with that idea that with improv you can play anybody you want, and you can get out of typecasting. I mean, that's the beauty of it. But I also feel you have a responsibility as an improviser to do that. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, and I love acting. I've always loved acting. I just, you know, you just get tired of wanting or getting kind of the same roles when you're handed an assignment. And so you're like, all right, well, but, um, yeah, with improv. Yeah. I, I want, I want, I want other, uh, you know, black girls, Latino girls to see like, Hey, there's an opportunity to play something. That's not, uh, what you know what the quote-unquote society or what the standard can or is or what people think it should be not to make it all about you know improv's the greatest but it provides that space just in what it is you know we show up and 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 we make it up and it's ours and no one has handed us a script it's the perfect vessel for that kind of thing it is very very therapeutic it is one of it was People were astounded that I would work a full-time job at NYU living in New York. I would work from 10 a.m. to 6 6 p.m. I was always on time for work, and I would leave and go to the theater, either do a show, take a class or something, and that that was my – and go all the way back to the Bronx, get up the next day, get ready for work, to just come down and do all of that on repeat. And people were – always like, how do you, how come you're not late? You know, I, and I prided myself in that because I was like, there's something yeah. about leaving yeah. this job. And instead of going home and carrying this job with me, I'm able to leave this job, go to the theater, do a jam. Sometimes I wouldn't be home till one, 2 AM and still have to work the next day. But it was just that it, it had nothing to do with youth because, you know, I'm no, it was just more like I was all I felt like it was just my therapy. I could get my shit out. I could, you know, enjoy myself and then start the day all over again. Are you still like that or is or was it because improv was new? Um, Am I still like that? I, I you know, I'm well, I'm 40 now, so. I'm I'm not saying I'm old or anything like that, but, you know, living in Chicago and just like, it's, I don't know. I, I, I there's times where I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do this show because it's too late. <laughs> I want to be at home tucked under the covers. Yeah. In Chicago, if it's not summertime, it's freezing. Yeah. So what pulled you from, wait, I guess I should say why New York? Because you were in, you were in L.A., and then what brought you to New York? So Chris Grace, Love him. he's from Houston, and he uh, saw a two-prof show that I did with my friend Autumn Knight, and he invited us to New York to perform mm-hmm. with the faculty, which is probably where I first met you. Yeah, I remember that show. Yeah, we did our own show, and then we got to play with the faculty, and it was so much fun. And then Ali, he sent me a, um, he sent me this thing about the NBC diversity scholarship. And I said, sure, I'll try it out. And I did get it. And so uh, that was kind of my, like my, um, my flip of the coin is like, if I get this, 
I'm going to move to New York and start fresh and do all improv stuff. And if I don't get it, I'll just stay in Houston and keep working at this job and try to move up from there. Cause I was working at a hospital down there too. Uh, I did a lot of hospital work um, my whole life. I love working at hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be, I always have to work somewhere where I'm helping somebody, you know, in some way. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's what brought me to New York was that NBC diversity scholarship. That's crazy that it's just <laughs> sort of like, what am I going to do? And somebody's like, hey, why don't you do this? And you're like, all right, I'm moving halfway across the country. Most people don't make moves like that. Yeah. They're just sort of like, that's interesting, but I know where everything is in my town. Yeah. Well, you're always trying to find yourself. You know, I'm always trying to figure out. But also, I mean, my family, my my father's side of the family, oh, actually both my father and my mother, um, but mostly my father's side uh, still lived in the Bronx at the time. So I, I was moving up there with also oh. their, knowing that there was family there. So I didn't feel too right, right. That helps. out of it. But uh, I think regardless, because, you know, New York is one of the, New York City is one of the best cities in the world. You know, you're going to move there regardless. Because I moved to L.A. and I didn't have any family. I knew no one there. So, um yeah, so it's just a matter of like mm. that. That was enticing. Uh, yeah, so I yeah I went to to New yeah. York and went for it, and it was great for the most part. <laughs> so all right, so ten, so you started ten thousand hours, which is based on this idea: if you spend ten thousand hours practicing something, you'll become a master. Yep. So what inspired you to do it? Well, first of all, people think I read the Malcolm Gladwell book, and I didn't. I just liked the quote, and I was like, oh, this is great. Um, For our listeners who are unfamiliar with this idea of uh, 10,000 hours, and uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote this book called Outliers, in which he talks about um, these guys, Simon and Chase, who are these psychiatrists, I guess, who, who um, were studying chess masters, and said that it takes like between 10,000 and 50,000 hours for someone to become a master. The one exception was Bobby Fischer, right? The natural born chess genius and crazy person. Um, and then there was another guy named uh, Hayes was his last name, who, who did a similar study with composers and said it took 10 years before composers made anything considered genius, except a few, again, a few exceptions like Shostakovich. I guess those are the outliers, you know, those people who can do something of genius without putting in the 10,000 hours. The rest of us need the 10,000 hours to get good. I was just like, oh, this is a nice thing to like, you know, guide yourself with. Um, But uh, how did that come about? Um, Oh, so I do remember... You know, again, I, I don't, I've always been this person where I've, I, I like helping people. I like trying to find things with, that I'm doing within my community uh, where I can help someone. And I remember specifically um, mm-hmm. uh, Michelle Thomas, if you remember her. Of course. She produced one of my movies. Um, great improviser. She's uh, mm-hmm. also one of my really good friends. Uh, she, at the time we weren't even close, not the way we're close now. Um, but I remember running into her on Mm -hmm. the street and I can't remember where I want to say it was outside of simple studios. Actually it was, it was outside of simple studios and she was upset and she was upset because she had put together a group of people to just kind of practice together and they were going to split the cost Mm -hmm. of the room and some people bailed. 
And when people bailed, the you Ugh. know the cost of the room doesn't change. So that means that she had to um, you know come up with the extra money. And I was like, oh, that's really messed up because you know it's a great idea that yeah. you know you were trying to like do that, blah blah. And so you know that was something that kind of sprung out to me. So then you know I don't think nothing of it. About like not too long after that, um, I find out that I need to get brain surgery. Um, this has nothing to do with the what? other. What? Yes, this is like two very separate stories. Yes, I have to get brain surgery. Yes. Um, this is July 2010. And because they found a tumor, because I was having some trouble like seeing and I wasn't sure what was going on, blah, blah, and went through all these tests, all this drama, um, only for them to tell me like, I think it was on a Friday, they were like, you have to get brain surgery. Uh, no, it was, yeah, it was like a Friday. They were like, you have to get brain surgery tomorrow or something, something weird like that. It was so fast. The turnaround was so fast and it was so scary. Cause I, and I had to call my parents and it was just like a, yeah. you know, just one thing you don't want to have to tell your parents. Um, and yeah, so yeah. So, uh, I, I ended up getting, I, they ended up like delaying the surgery for like two days instead of going the next day because I was like, can, can we just wait till my mom gets here? So, you know, my mom, she, everybody pulled in for her to get mm. a flight up here to, I mean, to, to New York. And, um, so yeah, I had, Actually, I had two brain surgeries, technically. So on July 15, 2010, I had my first brain surgery. And then five days later, they had to go back in and finish because they were like, we could either do it in five days or we can wait six months and we'll go. I was like, nope, I'm already here. Like, let's just get this shit over with. Um, There's already a hole in my head. Right. I'm all, I mean, what was the point? Just get in there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, no, no. So I had the surgery and, um, you know, there was just so many people in the pit that were at the People's Improv Theater pit, blah, blah. Uh, the community uh, were so kind and like people were, because my mom was, you know, there helping me for like, I think she stayed in New York for like a month, maybe a couple months, a very long time for her to leave work. Um, but mm -hmm. she... You know, the community came together and like, it wasn't just like about cards and things like that. It was like more about people looking to make sure that my mom was taken care of, that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, they, they did everything. People were just bringing food and gifts and flowers and giving us rides, you know, back to my apartment type stuff. It was nice. So I was like, how can I That's say really nice. thank you? So that was my thank you was by creating this program to continue helping the community. I was like, this is how you can help, you know, help other people. People helped you. So you pay it forward. So this is what I did. So I created the program and basically what the program did was it was, um, so I would have people, coaches, people in the community would volunteer two hours of their time just two hours to give feedback to students and run some exercises, um, nothing warmups and like very light warmups and then watch them do a montage where they can get feedback and maybe have like some like drills and things like that. But I said, it's not a class. You're not teaching anything. There's no curriculum, nothing. It's literally a monitored play date. And so, um, yeah. And it just turned into this huge hit. And people were loving it. And um, at the time in New York, 
they had to split the cost of the room. So they, you know, they scheduled ahead of time. We knew who was coming and then we knew how much, you know, each person had to pay. So it was tough because, you know, we were kind of spread around the city of New York, but it worked out. It was really great. Uh, and I have a lot of really great testimonies. That's awesome. I'm feeling guilty that I've never given back. <laughs> like, <laughs> I need to do a, need to do a moral inventory. That's so funny. <laughs> no, don't feel um, guilty. I, here's, here's how I give back jokes. Okay. I put my jokes out there. There you go. And that's how I heal the world. At least that's what I tell myself. Here's the thing is that, you know, time is the greatest gift you can give anybody. I've heard this a million times. I live by this. So even just like giving your time to someone, that's that's paying it back. Good. I'm going to change this topic so I feel less guilty. <laughs> um, all right. So you did 10,000 hours. So then you got the cruise ship yes. gig, yes. which is kind of what I wanted to talk to you about was like, I want to know what the cruise ship experience is like, but also what's the difference in improvising for yourself, right? To, to get skills, to get better at it, but also just the joy of playing with your friends versus entertaining an audience for money. And did it change how you thought about the work and how you felt about it? You know what? It, you know, because at the time, Second City brings a different type of flavor of improv and comedy, especially when, obviously, when you're getting paid. So it was, to me, it was a great, like, I don't know, it was a nice, like, um, felt like the grad school of improv for me, if I had to say. You know, it's like you're, you're in this... Uh, I, I enjoyed getting paid for it. I still had fun. I made it fun. I will say there were times where it was not fucking fun at all. Was that because of Jeff Grimwood? Was Jeff Grimwood on your boat? <laughs> no, Jeff Grimwood was not on my boat. He would have made it so much more pleasant. Um, but no, I don't think, it, I wouldn't even say it was a cat. It was not, had nothing to do with the cast because the cast that, I've been very blessed with five casts that were all really, really awesome people. I mean, we did have like, there was some cast where I was like, oh, I could choke you right now and throw you off the boat at any moment. But um, at, the, at the end of the day, they still were nowhere near as frustrating as the passengers. Wow. Passengers wow. were the issue. Because here's the thing. I never got on a, I've never been on a cruise before. So I didn't know what it was like, you know, so it wasn't like I could be like, oh, I've been on a cruise. Before. You know, I never had that experience. So I'm getting firsthand, you know, and, and I think Second City did a really good job of when they like, because, you know, we would rehearse for like maybe like I think it was about two, two, three weeks, depending on the ship, I guess. But we would rehearse for a couple of weeks and then mm -hmm. we would go out. But like a lot of pe veterans were really good about kind of giving us the heads up on what to expect. So I kind of already went in with this mindset. And then on top of that, it was like, you know, these the people that go on cruise ships well, specifically Norwegian, some of those people, because um, that's the cruise uh, that I went on. I mean, yeah, the ship. <laughs> um, some of those people, I mean, middle America, um, very, some people came in very entitled. Um, these nasty attitudes. Um, yeah, it, I mean, again, there was a lot of really great people there. And just the, some of the things that people would say, like when you ask for a suggestion, you're like, damn, that's what you, that's what's on your mind. You decide to shout that out mm. in front of a group of people and you don't think you look stupid. 
Like it was just like, wow, some of these people are really like what? Like what? Now all I want to know is what did these people oh shout? Oh my gosh! Oh, people just say just gross stuff. Like you know, oh, what's the last thing you ate? Dick. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I'm it's sure. like, oh come on, really? Yeah. yeah oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, exactly. It just yeah. It, yeah. It, to me, gynecologist. But see, here's the thing: is that you have to like. I would try to be, remember. Oh, this is like their first time seeing the show, but this is like my 900th day on this ship hearing, you know, penis for yeah. five million times. And you guys still laugh at that. I'm just like, all right. So what are we supposed to do that? Yeah. It's, it's an audience that n- wouldn't necessarily seek out a improv show. Like they're trapped on the boat and they're like, what else are we going to do? We've done shuffleboard. Let's go see this comedy show. Which is so funny to me because these are the same people that will come up to you after and say, oh, I love that show. Whose line is it anyway? And I love uh, SNL and blah, blah, blah. But I'm also like, yeah, but when you're on watching Whose Line Is It Anyway, who the hell is yelling out dick as a suggestion? So you should know better <laughs> since you know so much. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, is it? I, I swear, honestly, it, it but... I've done five ships and I've, man, it was probably one of the best experiences, the best and some of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life. Like, I love it. I love, I appreciate everything I've learned and people I've met. You meet people from around the world. Like your coworkers are literally from these beautiful, amazing countries and they're open to talking to you about it and you become friends with them and you learn from them and sometimes you get to visit them in their country. So it's like, it's awesome. I loved it. That is awesome. Yeah. My first showbiz experience was I worked at an amusement park uh, called Sesame Place, which (gasps) is a Sesame Street. That's where I met Matt Higgins, who's in Centralia. And I've known Matt Higgins since 1988, lifelong friend. But I, I know what you mean in terms of it being amazing and also not amazing. Um, but the amazing part was getting to do, we did like six shows a day. Oh, wow. And I became a much better performer. And it's that thing you were saying that it's your nine, 900th day of a row, in a row of doing it. Yeah. And, you know, doing that many shows, each one becomes less precious you know, and audiences over time sort of become all the same in some ways. That's that's not necessarily a, a bad thing, you know. Right. You you sharpen the knife. You you put, you put in your your ten thousand hours. You know, as long as you're present, as long as you're not phoning it in, as long as you're showing up to play and and do the work, you get those ten thousand hours in an environment like that. Yeah. I, I mean, there's stories upon stories and interesting facts and weird shit that people that I, I, I that I enjoyed on this shit. Get to it. We're on a podcast. Come on. That's okay, why we're I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, what do you want to know? I mean, I could tell you. I mean, geez. What are the, I mean, <laughs> no, gosh, no. I can give you all the hot all gas. Right. <laughs> I need the hot gas. What was your top cruise ship moment something you that like you wouldn't have experienced anywhere else but a boat okay um learning that on my first cruise ship i learned that oh so my first cruise ship we had two week trips so we were doing seven seven shows in two weeks so you can imagine like we had too much time on our hands but those two week trips are are um, yeah. were full of like very elderly people 
And come to find out, a lot mm. of those elderly people go on those longer cruise ships so they can go die. What? Yes, they go to die. Um, because here's the thing. So I found out that, well, first of all, if you hear a code alpha on a ship, you know, somebody is, somebody had a heart attack. Somebody's dead. Some, something happened. Um, they're dead or close to dying. Um, and then, so you would hear that a lot. Um, and so, okay. So elderly people, the cost of being on a cruise ship for that amount of time is very similar, probably cheaper than the cost of what it is to be in a retirement home. So a lot of them go on cruise ships because they're getting the same access. They get, they get, they have, uh, um, you know, wheelchair access. Um, they have, they get their room clean. They've got you know, three square meals a day. They get to, you know, so they're, and they, it's literally the same stuff. So they're, they're better off just going on a cruise ship. And, um, you know, some of them have like these, uh, you know, uh, I guess, what do you call it? Like, I don't want to say a deal that sounds horrible, but you know, where it says like, do not resuscitate type thing. Like if they pass, they pass and people know that DNR. yeah. Yeah. Um, And yeah, and that happened a lot. You would see a lot of elderly with their nurses, their nurses. I mean, I mean, when you get to chatting with some of these folks and you know me, I like to, I'm nosy and I, I I am not in any way, any type of extrovert. I hate being an extrovert. I mean, I hate talking to people like, you know, whatever, like groups of people, I should say, but when it's a one-on-one you catch a nurse, like chilling, you're like, Hey girl, you know, you're, you're, you get very nosy and they're willing to talk Mm -hmm. because people on the ship want to talk. And, um, you know, it's just like one big ass high school, like with old people and which I love. (laughs) And so that was one thing that I thought was very interesting. And, uh, side note, there was one time that I had to go down to the, um, doctor, uh, the ship doctor, there is a ship doctor. And because my ear was plugged and from the water and I could not hear, which was affecting my, um, ability to. Uh, perform on stage because I couldn't hear my scene partners come to find out it was just a wax buildup mm-hmm. and long story short she's like she goes hey did you feel a stop last night and I go no I go why did we stop and she goes because we had to drop off a dead body and I was like oh my god like the <gasps> right <laughs> yes so stuff like that is very interesting Wait, drop me. it off where like to, to, to a nearest... pool of sharks or, or on land <laughs> You know what? That's when you say that. I have no idea. She may have, but no, it was no, probably the nearest port that would, um, because it, it, first of all, they, they don't really port. They wait, they get as close as they can to the shore without docking. And then a tender boat comes out, picks up the body and then takes them back to the shore. That is some hot goss. Yes. One thing that I thought was so funny. I just thought it was hilarious. So there was one ship I I was on, I think it was the Dawn, where we docked in Boston a lot. And that was like normally our, our, when I say dock, I mean like that's where we would have the um, the embarkation and, you know, debark and embark. And um, so... Mm -hmm. so that was like where all the new fresh people would come onto the ship in Boston, blah, blah, blah. When I tell you that was the that was the port that had 
the most fights break out constantly <laughs> before the ship even left. There were definitely, I remember like three or four fights breaking out because here's the thing is that when people on embarkation day, you know, people are excited, right? They're, they got their stuff. And the first thing they hand you is a drink. If you have a drink package, you're drinking while you're waiting for your room to be cleaned. You're drinking. There's people walking around handing you drinks. So there's drinks everywhere and people get loaded before the ship even sails. So we've had, we've been delayed because people get so drunk and they fight and we have to wait because now they got to go off the ship or they go into the, um, the jail, the ship jail, the brig till they're sober. It's crazy. One, I mean, I've, like I said, I have a lot of stories, but here's one that does stand out to me. Now that we're talking about fights, I will never forget. We're doing a short form show. It's in, uh, uh, what they call the Spinnaker Lounge. You know, it's, it's a very, it's a big lounge, but the stage is small and intimate. And it's kind of like, you know, everyone's seated around you type thing. So you're not up at a higher level. You know, it's not like a stage stage, but there's a space for a stage. Mm-hmm. And um, all we hear, we hear, um, and introducing the second city. So we all come running out and I see this huge dude punch this guy in the face and knock him over. You see a bunch of chairs fall over and, and the, and there's just like a lot of commotion. There's a huge fight happening to our right. And it was hilarious. And come to find out, this is, this is why you gotta be careful who you say talk shit to. Um, because the dude that hit him was a bigger dude. Like when I say bigger, like he was heavy set and and rightfully so, you know, the guy was telling, um, the bigger dude was like, Hey, sir, you can't sit in these chairs. I'm saving this for my two friends. And so he started talking smack, basically said something along the lines, like, Oh, you're just saving it for your fat ass type thing. It was awful. And cause he had two chairs and, you know, giving him shit. That big dude was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, you ain't gonna talk about me. And so he punched him. And I remember running to the stage and all I saw was the contact to his face and the punch and the chair falling over. And the guy, not only did he get punched in the face, he hit his head on another chair on the bar of the chair on his way down. And it was just a mess. I was like, people are wild. How was the rest of the show? (laughs) It was awkward. (laughs) I'm thankful I didn't have to host the intro for that. So um, God bless Tim Herlin. He was the one that had to do it. He's awesome. Um, But yeah, it was very awkward. And it's funny because we had met that guy, um, the guy who who punched, who threw the punch. We had met him earlier. So I was very shocked. So I was able to see him later on in the cruise and ask him what was up, which is why I know what happened. So you did five tours and then how did you get to Chicago? It's because you're working for Second City and then you were like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Chicago and see what I can yeah. do. Yeah. So after my second cruise ship, you know, every time we came to Chicago to um, rehearse, I was like, man, this city is really awesome. I was like really into it. And we were here for like maybe a week or two and it was nice. So I got to explore the city a bit and I was like, this 
I've always been drawn to Chicago through TV shows, through, oh my God, John Hughes movies. Like, I mean, everything. Like, I love Chicago. And so um, it was at a point where after, so my sister unfortunately passed away right at the start, like of my second ship. So I was just on there for like two weeks and then she had passed. So I had to get off of the ship and go home for two weeks. And I was actually going to be done. But my mom was like, you need to go back, you know, just finish, do your, do what you love, blah, blah. So it was on that ship where I had decided, I was like, you know what? I'm going to move to Chicago. Like life is short type thing. Like, let me just do what I love and yeah, yeah. Yeah. And try out Chicago. I said, it's it's the happy medium for me. It's a happy medium between New York and. I, uh, I moved from Chicago to New York when my father passed away. It's a similar thing of like, you know, you lose somebody and you're like, what do I want to do with my life? Right. Um, I just like, this is an opportunity. I want to do something before I die. Right. There's something I want to do. Um, but it just sort of. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so you go to Chicago cause you love the city, but also this is where improv happens, right? Did you know, like, did second city offer anything to you? Like, did you say I'm going there and I want to do something on the stages or anything? Well, uh, before I had moved there, um, I, you know, they did kind of hint to me like, you know, cause I, you know, I, when we came in for rehearsals and stuff, I was like, wow, this is really awesome. Are there other opportunities that I could do outside of New York? And they're like, no, but if, you know, we, we would love to be able to give you more stuff, but you would have to actually be here. And I was like, oh, okay. And um, so eventually, obviously I moved. Um, but when I got here, it wasn't immediate. You know, they, you know, I, I put up a solo show because they only knew me from the cruise ships, but it was more so my cast knew me from the cruise ship. It wasn't the producers. It wasn't the, the, the people mm-hmm. who cast the shows necessarily, right? They, you know, I, I went through the big audition in New York and that's pretty much all they saw unless I was in rehearsal or something, but that's it. So I, I, I wrote a solo show, um, invited the producers so that they can see my work and see what I'm about. And then I got involved with some other, like um, some classes here and there just to kind of start showing my face around the city and um yeah things kind of picked up from there i got did the general auditions for second city did a couple of gigs here and there and again it wasn't immediate it really wasn't immediate it wasn't it was so not immediate to the point where i ended up getting a full-time job um working downtown at a at a rehab hospital so um i i got the bob curry fellowship which is a fellowship for um uh persons of color uh, and uh, LGBTQIA plus, I should just say diverse, um, uh, for diverse performers. And sure. you know, it's like a 10 week um, meet twice a week classes. And, you know, initially you're eventually you're working towards a showcase and I did the showcase and that's when things kind of really like picked up for me even more. So I, you know, I got an agent out of that. I got, um, cast in a touring company so it was great it was really awesome that was in 2018 god so long ago it was a different world then we were we were so innocent as a nation back in 2018 
Yeah, right. Wolf. And so you're part of the Chicago community now. You're one of the players. You're making it happen. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm trying. Stepping Stone Theater, and it's yes. a brand new theater you're starting. Yes. But here's the thing that I thought was awesome. Not that this is about you strictly being awesome, but it is. You sent out uh, like a, a questionnaire to the community first before starting a theater to say what do people in the community want and i guess my question is like what prompted you to to um you know to put that out there what were you expecting to hear back from people and after you read what people responded did it change your mind about what you wanted to to do yeah well um the reason why we sent that out is because we just needed to know the demographic of what is happening in the improv community um I know what I want to offer. I know what I can offer, but it's also like, this is about all of us. So who's out there? Who's still interested? Um, What are people's experiences? And so through this survey, we were able to collect really good information um, and know who's out there. And, you know, the theater itself, Stepping Stone is you know, we, our goal is to amplify and celebrate diverse voices. And when we got that survey, I'm sorry, when we got that survey back, um, we realized there's not a lot of diverse voices. Um, they're there, but how can we get more? So like out of a thousand people, uh, over 800 of them were, were white and wow yeah and it was like oh my goodness so it wasn't one of those and and also and and i have to keep you know reminding people that this is not a theater that's like oh this is for poc only no this is us like trying to uplift and amplify those underrepresented voices in addition to what we already have going on but we're running things a little differently. You know, I decided, you know, if right. you're going to start your own business, if you're going to start your own programs and stuff, you can be a game changer. And that's what I'm doing. I'm changing the game. I'm changing up uh, what our traditional theaters have done in the past. Not to say those were wrong. I just have a different eye on community outreach and, um, and how we can help people moving forward. Um, so we can build this um, this improv community in different ways. Do you have like goals down the line of like you want to have a thousand seat theater or like anything specific like that? You know, I I I know for a fact that I want I, I want a cozy theater, and I shouldn't say cozy as in like not like small, but I don't want it to get so big where I lose. Um, I, I lose like the, the, the rapport and the relationship that I can have with people. I feel like second city is mm-hmm. one of those places where they got so big that if you're not, if you're pretty much, if you're not on main working there, like regularly full time all day, every day, and not even then, but if you're not on like main stage or ETC, because those pick, you know, we know who those people are. We'll always know that because their faces are on the pictures of the theater they're on buses, they're on train stops, they're, they're, they're advertised everywhere. So it's just one of those things where I want, 
I want I want our community to know who we are, like who we are to each other. Like I, I've already uh, set yeah. like a standard that anyone who starts working at my theater, if you are on our payroll, you do have to meet with me. Like I have to know who you are. Obviously, you'd have to be interviewed by me at some point, but I just need to know who people are. I want to know who who these fami- these faces that are going to be showing up to the theater. I want to get to know them. I want to know what they're looking to do. How can I help them? What what how can they help each other? Um, so initially, what I would like, um, I'm looking for two uh, for two stages. One that's like a bigger theater that has that seats a nice amount of people. And then another one that's smaller, that's more like a lab. So that's great for, Mm -hmm. um, you know, class shows and uh, experimental or smaller shows and things like that. Um, And I'm looking to open a bar and coffee shop within the theater. Um, We're looking to have um, classroom space. Um, offices, uh, storage, um, just a lot of opportunity and spaces for people to be able to uh, practice their craft regular regularly. You're making me want to move back to Chicago. You can come back to Chicago anytime. We're creating programs where we're going to have uh, on-site teachers as well as off-site teachers. So I'm connecting with schools around the Chicago area to uh, send teachers out there to teach um, improv. That's brilliant. I started teaching improv largely in Chicago through um, the Boys and Girls Clubs. Um, I worked for a theater called the Imagination Theater, and it was like, it was about abuse prevention, like, um, you know, physical abuse, emotional abuse, chemical abuse. And we would go in and and, and did stuff in the Chicago schools. different after school programs and stuff. And it was the funniest scenes um, because a lot of people had no filter and they didn't, you know, they didn't know from what is improv, you know, they maybe hadn't even seen whose line is it anyway. Uh, So the rules didn't really apply. And also sort of, um, you know, it's very satisfying work to know that like in that Viola Spolin way that like Mm -hmm. what the work does for people, the therapeutic side of work, like you were saying earlier, like it's your therapy to allow people to play and, and get out of them, get out of their head, get out of themselves for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And just the, the pure joy of it. And, and, and a lot of, I miss that a lot of times about the work. And I think it's cause I do it as my vocation and I'm in New York where a lot of the improvisers are just trying to get improv on their resume or to sharpen their skills for commercial auditions. Right. You know, they're not improvising to improvise. Right. And you know, and that's, yeah, I want to be able to have, uh, programs for those type of people like if that's if it's not going to be something you want to do permanently then that's fine but we want to make sure that we like have something separate for people like that too you know yeah uh, there's a there's a space for it i think i don't know how we define it but i say it as improv as yoga which is like you know a space in every town every strip mall should have it and they do the same kind of exercises so anybody can sort of drop in and out and it's not about performance it's not about showing off it's just about yes anding it's just about following the follower it's just about sort of being in being in a space and I, you know i don't like yoga i don't like crossfit improv is is my jam yeah as it were yeah, I really want to make it as accessible for as many people as possible without 
Um, you know, cause yeah, there's people that are going to want to take it very seriously. And then there's people that are just like, Hey, I just want to try out a couple of classes. So I want to be able to have workshops for people like that. And then classes for people who are looking to really dive into it and, and open this up, this beautiful art form to as many people as possible, because it's, it's definitely done a lot for me. So, all right. So back to this idea, this idea of diversity and the, and the number of respondents you got, were you like disappointed? Were you shocked at like the, the breakdown, the demographic breakdown? Yeah, I was shocked. I was really, really shocked. Um, and more so because, you know, but I was shocked, but I was also like, initially I was shocked. And then I was like, damn, you know what? I'm not surprised Yeah, because I, I, I know that amongst the three major theaters, you have second city IO and annoyance them trying to obviously, uh, you know, there, there's times where they needed more diverse voices. And I, you know, um, there would always be this thing like, well, second city hired, um, three, these people of color. So we know, you know, they're IO and annoyance is going to be out of, you know, these few people, you know, for a while, cause they're probably on tour doing a stage mm-hmm. or something. And it was always like, you know, there's, you know, you see a lot of the same faces around and then like, there are plenty of them who have been in this, uh, you know, in this, um, this community for a while, then they go off and do great things. Like when I got here, I was watching people like Chris Red and Shantira Jackson and Patrick Rowland and, um, oh gosh, and Dwayne Perkins and Lisa Beasley. I saw, I, I, these are people of color and I got to see them on stage and I swear like less than like maybe a year after I got here, they were gone. You know, Chris Red got on SNL and, mm. and, and, and other folks went to LA or they're writing and they're, they're doing tons of amazing things. But that's the thing is that there's, there's so many talented people, they get picked up and they get kind of, you know, contracted out to do all, all other awesome stuff. Um, so, you know, and, and it happens a lot. It's, you just kind of see that cycle, but it's not that many of us. Yeah. So that's why I was like, if this, yeah. then what else? So where can I, you know, let's, let's reach out to our kids and let's reach out to communities. And, you know, and I also feel like if I'm able to create these programs where people can get involved in improv and stuff like that, it, it affects your daily living. Like it affects how you talk to people, how you deal with people um, it, in, mm-hmm. in a positive way. And um, maybe people will find something within themselves as they're taking improv classes that they didn't know about. Like I learned a lot about myself. So I'm hoping that, that, you know, we're able to like go out there, teach this art form and maybe people can find things out about themselves. It's not about being on SNL and stuff, but who knows? Like, like they're, maybe they're more creative than they expected. Maybe they're something in that, in that brings something really good out of them and has them, you know, focus more on what their destiny or their vision is. It's, it's as simple as, you know, saying yes a lot and then, you know, living the practice of saying yes. It's like when Ali says, Hey, why don't you move to New York? You came, you did one night of shows. I'm going to throw you this opportunity because he says yes. And then you say yes. And then you're living in New York and it changes the course of your life. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That in itself, like just teaching the yes and to people is huge. Uh, not to be too like 
guruistic about it, but like people saying, yes, we'll change the world. But I mean, it's true. I mean, you think about it, people are so quick to be like, to say something negative or no, or deny people, you know, it's, it, this is nice. This is really nice. Like to be able to, to put that into your daily living, but also, you know, and if you do say no, have a reason behind you saying no, something that, you know, just don't shut it down. Like, right. We, I always say you, you can say no, but have a reason behind it. Like there's gotta be a valid reason for you saying no. Yeah. The no has to open up another window or another avenue. Exactly. Exactly. I'm thinking about the fist fight on the boat. And if those guys knew how to say yes, like <laughs> could they have gotten some other chairs in there? Or could they have said no in a way that didn't lead to a fist fight? Right. You know, oh maybe they don't need gosh, to insult each yes. other. Right? Maybe all those people in Boston who are like the the Bruins and the I don't know what's the basketball team? The Celtics. Yes, wicked fire. You bastard. Ah. You wicked fire. It's wicked fire. Boston's wicked fire. I punch you in your face, you bastard. Um, maybe if they all learned how to say <laughs> yes, it would be a much more pleasant, pleasant city. We're not knocking Boston. Just certain people from Boston that drink too much while waiting for the boat to leave. Yeah, and then they get kicked off and they can't enjoy their cruise. Don't ruin it yourself. Don't ruin your own cruise. And don't send me any hate mail. <laughs> the entire city of Boston. Um, I'm really excited for, for what you're doing there. I, it's a crazy time to be starting a theater project because theater is about being in the same room with people and, and having a communal experience. Yeah, it um, is. But I know you're in it for the long haul and you're, you're going to build it slowly. Yep. Outside of cruise ships, what's your top improv moment? You know what? It was um, all the times I got to play, uh, do two prov with my best friend, Oscar Montoya. We were doing uh, OJ in a sippy cup. That was our- Oh my God, Oscar. Yes. Oh my God. I think that was- that and playing with Nobody's Token with uh, Keisha Zoller, Rob King, jeez, um, everybody, Jimmy, oh my God. superstars, and Lucas Hazlitt, like playing on a group and, and um, Ray Cordova, um, like that, playing with that group of just all black mm -hmm. people and then playing in a two prov with my best friend and traveling and doing festivals. Those are some of my favorite. Oh my gosh. Between the, the, I mean, those are two very separate things, but like between the bits and the traveling and the jokes yeah. and the hangouts and the ups and the downs, man, what a great time for us. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. Lucas Hazlitt, genius. Oh my gosh. He's a madman. I don't know man. if he's ever going to listen to this. I'm not saying it for his benefit. He's a madman, but I like madman. Another couple of madmen, Matt Higgins. Yeah. Been working with Matt my whole life. Total madman. And... Dion Flynn. Yes. I don't know if you ever got to work yes, with Dion. Yes, I did when we did the scene. Total Madman. Um, yeah, he was awesome. Oh my gosh, I loved working with so him. There's certain people that just like, certain people that like, they have to improvise. I'd put those three guys kind of in a similar group. They're just like, on the verge of insanity, but in the best way possible. And then forces me as a player to like, up my game. Yeah. Right? And, and, and have to really yes and yeah. and the challenge of yes anding something that you could not have predicted coming out of somebody's mouth. Exactly. All three of them should be on a team together and we should watch that. <laughs> Let's make that happen. Um, the biggest laugh I, I think I ever got maybe was I was hosting the Pitt's uh, dating game show. 
which is, you know, live dating game, which is actually how I met my wife was live on stage doing that show. Yeah. And, but after that, after I won and got married and had a kid, I was brought back as host for a number of years in a row. And it was so fun because I had no skin in the game. I was just there as a host. And Lucas, uh, I, I don't even remember what the question was, but he gave the most filthy answer well <laughs> past NC-17. Almost in X-rated territory. Of course. And But somehow his story had involved Thai food. He's like, we went out for Thai food. And then it got really filthy. And I waited a beat and I tagged his story with, wow, I did not expect Thai food. And the crowd just blew up in a way that like I had never gotten such a solid laugh in my life. And I consider that like (laughs) the best setup I was ever given. It was so fun. Oh, yeah. He gave me that uh, alley-oop. He, he hooked it I up. love him. And he he worked the reception at, at Simple Studios for a while. Mm-hmm. And I remember once he was like, I just walked into like, I didn't even really know him. He was the receptionist. And I'm walking in to teach a class and he was like, hey, when are you going to let me play with Centralia? Oh. And I was like, anyone who has the balls to ask that question, right? I'm going to say yes. And I was like, can you do Saturday? And he was like, yeah. I was like, all right, you're in. <gasps> and then he did a, a number of shows with us and was always great. Oh, that's so awesome. This is not for people who listen to the podcast to say, this is how I get on Centralia. It's not an invitation. It was a Guys, one-time everybody, thing. send in your resumes uh, to Centralia. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> I remember how excited he was. Yeah, he was super excited about that. So what, what about Nobody's Token made it so special for you nobody's token was a group that was special to me uh not just because we're people of color but it was like it was it was rare uh so we, it was it was fun it was it was, it was we, were, we were unique but we all just got each other it's like the jokes and the it's just like the things that that are part of our culture that we all can laugh about that we all can bring up and we never felt like um you know, I never felt like I could say anything that was stupid um, or pe- something I could say from my culture, from my background. I can say it and people get it. And it feels good to be with a group of people that get you. Yeah. Um, and I've played on a lot of improv teams and I've yeah. always had to um, be overly aware or super aware of what I'm saying or what I present so I can make sure that um, other people... Uh, that are not people of color or people that didn't grow up in the South or have these, um, this history behind them that they don't, that we don't, um, you know, tread on those type of waters. Cause that's not something I want to have to explain later or anything that I, you mm-hmm. know, makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, I, I always just felt comfortable like with nobody's token and, um, Again, we had some some really good ups and we had some downs. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all just like we were buds, and it was great. It just it just felt it just felt easy. It felt really easy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's what it is about the improv. I always sort of liken it to, and this is probably a terrible analogy, but like being in a, a military unit together because you do something mm-hmm. really scary together. And you yeah. have to rely on each other to get through it. And once you've done that a few times, like you really trust each other, you really support each other. And, and it's what you were saying that you now feel 
like you can be free to say and do anything you want because you know they're going to be there to support you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we, it, there's like those unwritten rules that we already know that, you know, you just don't talk about or mess with. And it's just like, and you go on from there. And um, we celebrated each other's successes and we celebrated each other's, you know, uh, life, um, wonderful life things. And when things were not good for us, you know, we all took care of each other. When I had my brain surgery, um, Keisha was in the hospital quite a bit um, for her um, health issues. And, you know, people, you know, or we didn't hear from somebody for a while, we would check on them. It was just a nice balance of, uh, it was a good friendship. It was nice. Because I, I have my fair share of going through stuff and they definitely were they were there for me, and it was nice. That's so great. That's uh, that's what makes a great group, you know. You you when you become more than just a bunch of performers, but you're you know you're 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 an ensemble. You're more than an ensemble. You're like a family. Oh, uh, when you improvise with us, uh, you're a family. It's like the Olive Garden, you know. When you eat here, you're family. Whatever. Um, look, we're out of time, Jules. I wish you all the success in the world with <laughs> Stepping you. Stones. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is great. And if you ever want more information about Stepping Stone Theater, you just go to SteppingStoneChicago.com. And are you guys on Instagram or Twitter yet? Yes, we're on Instagram at Stepping Stone Comedy. And on Twitter, we're at BIPOC Comedy. That's B-I-P-O-C Comedy. And uh, we have a Facebook page too, Stepping Stone Theater. So, yeah, check us out. It's all happening. It's, it's all, all happening. It is happening. Uh, Stepping Stone hopefully will be like a, a what do you call it, household name one day. Same way Second City is. I it hope so. Be. We'll see. All right, Jules, Julia Morales, thank you so much for taking the time. All the best to you. I hope you survive the apocalypse. I will. I, I will. It's great to hear from you and yeah, talk to you. Yeah, same here. Let's let's chat again. Let's not make it. Let's not wait for pandemics to chat. <laughs> there you have it. That was our talk with Julia Morales at the Stepping Stones Theater in Chicago. Check out their stuff online, and or if you're in Chicago, check it out in Chicago. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so directly on our page on anchor.fm. Look for the Centralia Improvisational Podcast page. And there's a button there to donate and support this podcast. Send us a message. We're on Facebooks. We're on the Instas. We're on the Twitters. Get deep into our DMs and let us know what you think of the podcast. If you have any questions, any suggestions for guests or topics, anything you want to hear more of, anything you want to hear less of, let me know what you think of this podcast, boys. Huh? Come on. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy your apocalypse. I will see you next time on the Centralia Improvisational Podcast.